The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, and we're coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Philadelphia. And streaming live on www.dbam.com. You can visit us at Boomer Generation Radio uh, at gmail.com uh, for comments and suggestions or like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And um, a reminder that the podcasts of the show, uh, all our back shows are podcast on uh, my website, www.jewishsacredaging.com, and we'll be back with uh, a very special guest, Glenn Bergman, who's the executive director of Phil Abundance, to talk about some very, very pressi- pressing uh, social issues here in the greater Philadelphia and really probably national arena right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here on Boomer Generation Radio on this uh, beautiful, somewhat cloudy Tuesday here in Greater Philadelphia. And we are delighted to welcome to the microphone in our show Glenn Bergman, who is the executive director of Phil Abundance. Mr. Bergman, are you there? I'm here. Great, great. Always happy when technology works out. Thank you, Tony, and uh, the magic of electronics. Phil Abundance, one of the great... um, Real diamonds here in the greater Philadelphia area. Phil Abundance does what, Mr. Bergman? Well, we are a, a nonprofit that um, uh, is uh, rescues food from the back of grocery stores and uh, from the ports and from farms, and then we move that food uh, to people in need uh, in the Delaware Valley and also in uh, New Jersey in nine counties uh, throughout the area. So you go over, that's right, you go over the river. The river doesn't exist for you, right? You go into South Jersey and... Yeah, we're the region's largest hunger relief organization. And uh, so we serve nine counties, five in Pennsylvania, four in New Jersey. And uh, and we go pretty far to pick up food also and to buy food and, and bring it back into the area. Okay, let's let's talk about this issue because it's on, it's, it's your life. And uh, I'm going to be willing to bet that the issue of hunger... And the um, reality of hunger in the United States of America right now is is somewhat of a, a, an issue that's sort of like backburnered. It, 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 talk to me about the level of hunger in our area. How prevalent is it? How has it grown? Is it growing, or is has the tide turned? Well, it's growing, uh, and the reason it's grown is really not because there are people who are homeless, not because there are people who are um, uh, unemployed, because the unemployment rate is down. The, mm-hmm. the issue has to do with a number of different things. One is that uh, the wages have not kept up with the cost of, of living a decent life. And because of that, um, about uh, 59%, 60% of our people who we service are working poor. They are. They have jobs, 
um, in the Delaware Valley, or in this region, uh, one in four uh, are hungry in, uh, in the Philadelphia area. And in the United States, one in seven people are hungry at some point in the United States. Uh, let me just put that in perspective. For the whole year, uh, about 750,000 people in the nine-county area that we serve at some point will experience the need to find food or are hungry or don't know where their next meal is coming from. So could, could you, you – is there a uh, – it's a silly question maybe, but maybe not – is there a definition of hunger? I mean, it, it, I mean, there's a poverty level that below which you're declared that's below the poverty line. Well, it's not just poverty. As I said before, it is also the working poor. So the question about when someone decides, the questions that are done on the USDA um, questionnaire, mm-hmm. is have you ever uh, experienced a time, then this would be the question, let's say, to someone in the audience, where you didn't know where your next meal was coming from or that you didn't have food in your cabinets or in your refrigerator. Um, that alone, just by saying that, right. that is experience hunger. That's experience inse- food insecurity. Okay, so that would most be... Of, many of us, most of us don't have to worry about that. Most of us know that we have money, that we have enough to get by, and that we are not thinking day to day or the next morning, what am I going to eat? But um, one in seven people in the United States, and that is, um, you know, a lot of that, 30% of of the people who experience that are children, and 15% in this area are seniors. So there are many seniors experiencing uh, not enough benefits, and the cost of living is too high for them. So they cut back on things. So with it... um, and so that's how we define it, is if, if someone has, is food insecure and they don't know where their next meal is coming from. All right. That, that, I mean, that's a very workable and understandable definition of what, you know, technically what hunger is. And, and the children and older adults skew the, that, that population has to keep you up at night. It, uh, uh, how, do, how, does someone under, how does someone access fill abundance? If, if if I'm in that, how do I know? How do I get to you? Where are the distribution centers? How are you publicize this? Or talk to me about that. Well, there's a number of different ways. One is, um, of course, there's a website, and we have that listed of where places are. We also work with the Coalition Against Hunger uh, here in Philadelphia, and they have a website. They also have a hotline that you can call into, and uh, and we have a, a hotline, a national hotline, also that will. Uh, ask what zip code are you in, and they will give you a list of places to go uh, that are available. Could you give us that? Could you um, give us that right now? I was with a worker yesterday who works with seniors, and she always, you know, she's always checking to see where the uh, local pantries are that she can send her clients to for food. Okay, well, real fact, because this is real important. Um, what's the website, and what's the hotline? All right, so the website is uh, philabundance.org, www.philabundance.org, and uh, that's our website. Um, let me get you the phone number. I don't have it on me right now, but um, it's listed on the website. Okay. We'll get it for you in a second. Okay. So uh, somebody goes – of course, it also begs the question – if somebody doesn't have access to a computer or a smartphone, we, we always make the assumption nowadays that everybody does, but that's perhaps a false assumption. Um, 
and I can go to that website. I'm going to go to that hotline. That'll tell me where the closest location is that I can go and access uh, food. That's okay. right. All right. We also run uh, free farmers markets, but again, they're less, they're located in eight different areas around the region. For example, this morning we have a free farmers market in Camden. Mm-hmm. On Friday morning, we're out in um, Upper Darby behind a church. Uh, Friday afternoon, we're under the I-95 overpass at Tasker and 95. And there we have about 200 people who um, will line up for free food, uh, mainly vegetables and fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, one way of finding out is just going to a local synagogue or church, and usually they can help also, or calling up a social service organization, calling Phil Abundance. We'll find you a place. Right. And so, obviously, because you just mentioned it, you work with a lot of churches and, and synagogues, religious organizations, religious institutions within the Delaware Valley area, I would assume. I mean, you're just saying that. That's a pri- I would imagine that's a prime source of contact for, for people. So we, we, run, we work with 350 different agencies wow. throughout the nine-county area. They're the ones who see the 90, most of the 92,000 people per week that get our food. So we're not handing food out to 92,000 people per week. That's being done by volunteers, by uh, paid staff at uh, community centers. For example, in the Northeast, the Klein Center has an excellent um, pantry at that location up in the far Northeast. And that's open, I think, almost every day of the week. I don't have the exact hours, but... So that's a, a good place, and that has paid staff there and volunteers. We're speaking with Glenn Bergman, the executive director of Phil Abundance, talking to us about the, uh, the rather um, sad and phenomenal statistics about hunger in the Delaware Valley and how Phil Abundance covers the nine-county area in our general area, providing food for uh, this growing population. And um, Glenn, let me, the, let me give you the phone number for your listeners. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so the national number for hunger hotline is eight six six three, and then the word hungry H U N G R Y. Right. It's eight six six three hungry, and that will get them someone on the phone, and uh, we will ask for their zip code, and they will help them locate a place. So the uh, talk to me a little bit now about how you. You organize fill abundance. You, where does this food come from? Uh, you, you mentioned in the beginning you, you will pick up perhaps, um, you know, at a restaurant or, or stuff like that. But this is an overwhelming issue here. And the numbers that you're quoting and the statistics of one in four in the Philadelphia area are hungry. And using your definition of not knowing where that next meal is coming from, how do you then um, organize the acquisition of the food, and do you have certain requirements of this is a type of food we're not going to pick up or, as opposed to this is what we prefer? Right. So uh, let me start with the last one first, and that is that um, as a model, we are moving towards what we call foods to encourage, and that means that we are looking for uh, mainly a lot of perishable items, and uh, items that are low-sugar, low-fat items when we can. Um, so we're looking for vegetables. We're looking for fruit. We're looking for the sauce for those items. We're looking for meat products, protein products, dairy products, 
as much as we can. Mm-hmm. We have a staff of people here that uh, do, instead of purchasing product, they're actually trying to get product from places like the Port of uh, Wilmington, the Port of Philadelphia, uh, the ports in New Jersey, bring in a tremendous amount of fruits from Central America, Mexico, and the Caribbean. We will get a lot of that, about um, 10 million pounds of that, uh, will come through our doors or we will distribute from boats that are coming in and for one reason or another, um, we, they need to get rid of the product. Um, we will also get, we have a program called Grocers Against Hunger and that's the grocers in the area have gotten together and what they do is they will save product that's either gone out of date or on its way out of date or they need to remove it from their shelves. Uh, they will freeze uh, meat products and chicken and poultry products before it goes out of date and we will pick that up or we will have the agencies coordinated to pick that up. And that's about 12 million pounds of food that we pick up and coordinate throughout the region and get that to these agencies. Uh, many people do f- uh, great food drives for us, uh, both companies and Boy Scout troops, Girl Scout troops, churches, and we will get that product in. We, we, will have, we have 20,000 volunteers who come through our hunger relief center and help sort that product. We then put it on a truck and we send it out. Another proper program that we're very proud of is called uh, a gleaning program or agricultural initiative. And um, that's a program where we work with farmers who have already picked their field, for, for example, mm-hmm. and we'll send out 15 to 20 volunteers with a refrigerated truck to go through the field again and pick product that the farmer left on the vine or left in the field that was too small, and then two weeks later we'll come and pick that and we're able to pick 4,500 to 8,000 pounds in four hours with those volunteers. Wow. We bring that back, and then we distribute it through our, our logistics um, chain of organizations. And the waste of food in the United States, it's estimated to be 40% of the food produced in the United States is wasted. And that's a recent report by the National uh, resources Defense Fund. So there's a big push by the uh, EPA and by the Energy Department to reduce that because of the amount of energy loss wasted and the amount of um, uh, actually methane pollution from all of that leftover food just being wasted and put into dumps. Wow. We're speaking with Glenn Bergman, the Executive Director of Phil Abundance, and we'll be back with Mr. Bergman and to pick up on this idea of um, just the American way of waste, I think, uh, which is really symbolic of a lot of things that are going on, and uh, get your opinion on it. And we'll do that right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here of Boomer Generation Radio today, uh, featuring Mr. Glenn Bergman, the Executive Director of Phil Abundance. 
And you're listening to Boomer Generation Radio on WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. Mr. Bergman, the, the, you just touched on something before our, our Kendall spot, um, a statistic that's rather mind-boggling. Forty percent of food in the United States of America, you're saying, is wasted. Is that, is that's a, and that's equivalent to about uh, – I'm just reading the report that just came out um, <clears throat> on this last week, actually – and it's about 400 pounds of wasted food per person in the United States alone. And a lot of that happens at the farm level. Um, food, you know, has, is picked through. Sometimes food is left on at the field because it's not exactly right, and they don't come back to pick it again because they don't have enough to go through the field. Right. So there's a lot that just left out on the field. Then when it comes in uh, from uh, being harvested, it then gets picked through for quality. And by quality, it usually means, um, is that cucumber totally green? Is it totally, does it have any, uh, like, yellow spot? Is it straight? Is the tomato uh, plump? Or is it just slightly um, maybe dry, just a little bit? And those just get rejected and thrown back on the field for the most part and turned into compost. But the amount of energy to produce all of that food is dramatic. And if we can, and we think we can, in, in the New Jersey and and Pennsylvania area, start collecting that food and distributing this healthy food, we think that, that is, uh, there's, there's millions of pounds in this area that we can pick up. And I think what you, what you just mentioned, people have to understand, this is healthy food. This is good food. This is excellent food. It, it, uh, when I go out to the farm, I mean, it's, the farmer doesn't want to throw it back on the field either, but the problem is that in our supply chain of food, uh, most grocery stores do not want to handle something that, I mean, the customers are looking for, like, the prime perfect right. piece of tomato and cucumbers and et cetera. And they're not going to pick something up like a cauliflower that has a slight brownish mark on it. They'll, they'll, cut, they'll throw that right back onto the field. Mm. So it's perfectly fine to eat. Uh, there are a number of large companies that do food service that are starting to really look at this. Um, Aramark, the Compass Group, the Sodexo Group. They're looking at trying to pick up more food that's like that that they can then turn into something else uh, where the customer may not want to buy that, the retail person, but the wholesaler might be able to move it. The problem is that for the farmers in the United States, that logistics chain of secondary food is not there yet, but it's coming. Do you, does Philip Abundance have, just by what you're talking about, it would seem to be natural, some sort of an educational component to really um – teach people uh, about nutrition and and the best way to use food uh, and not to, and how not to waste them I mean, is there some sort of educational team or outreach team as part of the fill abundance work well we have two things one is we have a uh, a nonprofit grocery store in Chester it's the only grocery store in Chester and there we uh, have the food trust partnered with us and they do a weekly program in at the store uh, we also have a, a wonderful communications department that sends out information all the time to the press and, um, and to radio and television to try and educate people about the issues. Mm-hmm. We don't, the Food Trust does a lot of education programs. The Health Promotion Council does a lot uh, around shopping and uh, how to prepare foods. But that's not our primary emphasis. Our primary emphasis is this logistics of getting food that's perfectly fine from, uh, again, from the, uh, the, from the ports, from the grocery stores, and from the farms 
and from food drives and getting it to people in need as fast as we possibly can move it. In your experience, especially in the local area, are there enough grocery stores, fresh food outlets in low-income areas in this area? No, there's uh, – well, you know, the uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania actually um, – is known for um, trying to get grocery stores into underserved areas, and um, and it was doing very well at, at doing that by having a fresh food financing uh, bond that was passed at the state legislative uh, level, um, and is uh, coordinated by the food trust and by the reinvestment fund here in in the uh, in Pennsylvania and now nationally, uh, but. But what happened last year, many of your listeners will remember, that a number of, of uh, chains, grocery chains, closed down. Bottom dollar, uh, there were a number of consolidations in the industry. Right. There were, um, I forget how many grocery stores just in this area closed, but it's close to 100 grocery stores closed. Uh, some were purchased and some became Acme's and got reopened. There were 71 Acme stores, I believe, there were reopened in the region and up into New York. But many of those stores are still closed and have not been uh, opened up yet. I think Aldi's is, has taken over some of the bottom dollars. They have. They have. So in many communities, uh, I was in Delaware County in Prospect Park or Sharon Hill the other day, and I was at a pantry there that we service. And um, that pantry, we had hooked up with a local grocery store that had closed last year, and now they're suffering from a lack of uh, protein, of meats um, and poultry and dairy that they used to get from their local grocery store from the back. And, you know, as I said to you before, we service 90,000 people a week. Um, it is a, a very difficult thing to keep track of each one of these outlets of what they still need in the way of uh, food. But we know that we have, we have not gotten to the point of um, filling the pantries in this region. And, and I, who funds Phil Abundance? So did you, how do you survive? How do you keep going? This is a mammoth undertaking. So we have to raise, um, just to keep at the, at the present level, uh, we're, we have to raise about $14 million a year. Hmm. Um, one of the things that happens with us is that we are really fortunate that the people in this region um, give to us through direct mail, through um, uh, giving uh, programs. They, we have a planned giving. Some people will put this in their will. Uh, so we're very fortunate about that. And we raised probably about $6.8 million just from these people here. And that means a lot. When I get a, a letter from a kid from a uh, ninth grade who's sending us $13 because they raised some money for us, that means a lot right. to me. It means a lot to all of us here at Phil Abundance because that, that child understands the issue. When we get a, uh, a check from a corporation, it means a lot also, or from an individual who understands what we're doing and that the end result of that is to help our neighbors in need. If somebody, so, wants, to, if somebody wants to donate right now, where do they send it? Well, they can send it to uh, Phil Abundance directly, um, and that's at 3616 South Galloway Street, Philadelphia, 19148. They can also go online and uh, make a donation online. So either way. And the a website again, www.philabundance.org. And that hotline uh, is uh, 866-3-HUNGRY, uh, uh, the word hungry, 
hungry. Correct. And that will get somebody in need of food. That will get them uh, information about where they can get food. And anyone who wants to uh, donate to us, um, we're happy to uh, speak to them also. If there's something specific that they want to fund even, some people will fund specific programs here, and uh, we're happy to speak to them directly. And there are opportunities, I would imagine, for organizations, religious organizations, to help fund specific projects, et cetera, et cetera, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. A dollar uh, equals about two meals. That's important and to know. So you can put that, equate that to uh, 50 cents a meal is what it costs us to get uh, the food out based on really our overhead because most of our food is free that we get. We're picking it up. People are able to take tax donations. If any of your listeners have restaurants or have uh, wholesale operations, uh, they can take, or a grocery store, independent grocery store, they can donate to a local agency and take a tax deduction. Tax deduction. December 18th, Congress expanded the tax tax deduction for these types of donations from small businesses, from farmers, uh, as opposed to just large corporations. We've been speaking with uh, Mr. Glenn Bergman, uh, the executive director of Phil Abundance, and uh, just providing us with some amazing statistics and opportunities for everyone's involvement. And again, the website is www.philabundance.org, and that uh, hotline number, toll-free hotline number, is one eight six six three, and then the word hungry. Mr. Bergman, thank you very much for your time. Tremendous amount of great information. Continued success uh, in this wonderful mission of, of that you have of saving people's lives, literally saving people's lives. Thank you. And, and on behalf of all of us at Boomer Generation Radio, continued, continued success and, and health for all that you're doing. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Before we move on, uh, uh, again, uh, a note of a very good friend of ours, uh, the Hecht Investment Group of Janie Montgomery Scott. Uh, as we've been telling you about uh, Peter and his group, that provides concierge financial consulting and planning services. And the group uses a formal investment process as a foundation. And as uh, we've been telling you a lot, and as Peter has told you on his frequent visits here to Boomer Generation Radio, uh, clients receive frequent and rapid response to inquiries. And uh, there are few needs right now greater than our own when it comes to personal financial planning especially in today's rather volatile uh, economic and financial environment. And the group provides experienced guidance as well as an efficient management process uh, guiding you through this terrain. Uh, also, uh, Peter and his team can assist you in connecting to Janney Montgomery Scott's Investment Banking Department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies achieve their strategic goals. And a reminder, and we'll be talking more about this as they emerge, uh, during this year, uh, the Hecht Investment Group will be conducting a series of public workshops and forums on a variety of issues, uh, uh, social security, uh, computer security, cybersecurity, uh, end-of-life issues, and what matters uh, to all of us and, and, and relating it to financial planning. You can contact the Hecht Investment Group at 856-291-5028. Their toll-free number is 855-289-2168. That's 855-289-2168. You can ask to speak with Mr. John Connors. And the Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And as you know, Johnny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and the SIPC. 
to take us into our second segment uh, with uh, we'll be welcoming a wonderful, exciting uh, woman, Liliana Abramson from Florida, talking about some very, very interesting aspects of her life. And we'll be doing that uh, to take us into that second segment today. We'll do a little Linda Ronstadt duets, uh, real classic 70s song. tells her it doesn't understand She takes his hand And tells him nothing's working out the way she planned She stole many women Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome to our second segment of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. Again, you can reach us at BoomerGenerationRadio at gmail.com or like us at the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And we are delighted to welcome uh, to the microphone into our show Liliana Abramson. 
a uh, patient advocate, nurse liaison, calling in from the beautiful and very uh, important state of Florida today. Liliana, are you all there? Yes, good morning. How are you? How are you? I, I have to ask this question uh, since you're calling you're calling in from Boca, right? Yes. Yes, so correct. so today Florida's all over the news. Um how <laughs> how are things in Florida today with the election? It might it must be crazy down there. Well, it's not so crazy because, like myself, I went to early voting. Ah, early so voting. So there was a large percentage of residents here that they went to early voting to make it a little more calmer. I have not gone out of my house this morning, <laughs> so I don't know, but I can let you know this afternoon how crazy it's going. Well, I'm, yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's wonderful down there, but gl- I'm glad you voted early. I mean, they're, they're very good. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Liliana, um, uh, patient advocate and nurse liaison and uh, in in South Florida. Your particular story, Liliana, itself is an amazing story. Um, so just before we get into some of the, the, the meat of, of um, the impact of what you do uh, as a volunteer as well and professionally, uh, talk to me a little bit about your own personal story because I think it is a really amazing story. You You – came to the United States from Chile, and just talk to us a little bit about your own story, your own journey. Well, my journey started in Chile. I was born in Chile, and I had the opportunity to learn, love, and care for seniors as on and off my grandmothers lived with us. On my early 20s, I moved to the United States with my husband and my son, Ronald, and then we added to the family my daughter Paula that is the first American generation. But really my passion for senior citizen has been all my life since I was a little girl. Because growing up in Chile, you know, in a Latin culture and a Jewish culture, we were taught from early age how important it was to respect, love, and care senior citizen. But I think my my call came when my Rabbi, Rabbi Dan from Temple Bethel, in one of his amazing sermons, stated, everyone has a call in life. And I think I found my call, assisting seniors. I call myself an advocate. I have never given that title, but I feel that I'm an advocate for senior citizens because on a daily basis, through my volunteers, through the temple, and through my work, I see that I'm advocating for senior citizens. So you in in your the reason why I wanted to talk to you about your journey is because in some of our communication prior to the show you used the word journey um, as a person enters the healthcare system, a person enters a hospital and begins in your words this journey through the system and your calling uh, really is to assist that person and that family in this journey. Is, is, is that correct? Yes. Um, I have put together several presentations, but one of my passion is to help seniors navigate the system. I'm teaching here that for a smooth navigation, I would recommend that everyone prepare themselves because waiting till the need arrives, it's too late. And you're going to say, well, how do I prepare? When I get sick, I get sick. No, you can prepare yourself. The first thing you need to do is research for your insurance plan. 
just remember that not every insurance plan is the same. They're not all create equal, okay? You have to also understand that you have rights and responsibility. Again, if you wait till the needs arise, then it's too, too late. The other important thing is you're living in a community, it's very important to get a, a PCP, a primary care physician, and you need to ask questions. If you're going to be in the hospital, is the physician going to make hospital visits? Some doctors have stopped, and then you have to be taken care by the hospitalities. Also, it's very important to know, depending on your insurance plan, what's your network. If the hospital that is closer to your house is the one that is part of your network. Also, I always teach people, like, there's three ways that you can get into the hospital. You can go into the doctor's office, and the doctor says you need to be admitted, and that's called a direct admit. You show up at the emergency room, you mention that your doctor wants to admit you, and you're admitted. The second is that you don't feel good, and you present yourself to the emergency room. And the third one is, let's say you're at home, you fall, you think you have a fractured hip, 911 is called. Very important that unless it's a life-threatening situation, you can choose which hospital to be directed. Also, once you get admitted to the hospital, you're going to see different players. First of all, if your PCP is going to provide the care, then you're going to navigate with your PCP. If they are not going to be there either because they have no privileges or simple because they don't any longer make hospital visits. Then you're going to be assigned to the hospitalist. Very important also, and you could be surprised that the day of admission or the day after, you're going to have a case manager or a social worker come into your room and say, well, what's going to be your disposition? What are you going to do after you're discharged from the hospital? And you can say, well, I'm not ready to be discharged. You can be ready today, but tomorrow your doctor can come in and say, you're ready to be discharged and you need to have a plan. And there's different alternatives, like you can go home with home care, you can go to an acute rehab, you can go to subacute rehab. And I always tell people, take a chance. Example, if you're in a condo, and you see other people with home care, why don't you ask the name if your neighbor is happy with that company? If you go and visit someone in an acute rehab or subacute rehab, take a look around, see what's going on. That way, the day you need it, you can have a choice. This, Liliana, this all sounds so overwhelming uh, to someone, and, and I know that, that you stress preparation but the reality is so few people actually sit down and try to develop this uh, a plan what what many people call a care plan um and you're you're involved on the ground level if somebody comes in you, you into that hospital and, and as as your role as as an advocate and a liaison um how do you how do you make sense of and 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 I would imagine that for a large number of people, this, that, and the other, knowledge that you just went through, subacute, uh, this, that, and the other, it can be overwhelming while at the same time they're having to deal with their own illness and all the logistics of, of that illness. How do you, be, how do you begin to make sense 
of, uh, um, of all these things that somebody should be doing, you know, without the care plan, without, without that preparation. They just, you meet them in the hospital emergency room or right after they're admitted and they look at you and say, what am I supposed to do? I, I'm overwhelmed. Well, the, the role of the case manager and the social worker from the hospital is that they come in and they sit down with you and explain to you, like, do you live alone? Is someone going to help you? Would you like to go to a rehab? Do you qualify? So that would be the role of the case manager or the social worker. In my case, as an earth liaison working for an incredible facility in Boca Raton, I'm dedicated liaison for the local hospital. So the way I work, when they send us an electronic referral, I go in, I meet with the family, I meet with the patient, and then I explain to them what it means to go to subacute rehab. But the most important thing, if you're going to have a smooth navigation, if you can do two things before you get sick, before the need arises, would be the health insurance and how to choose a primary care physician. You know, those two, these two things are... Uh um, in your experience, you know, just, just to mention something, in your experience, do a lot of people not have a primary care physician? Yes. What happened in this area, as you know, there is a large percentage of snowbirds that they come around November and they live in May. Right. They come here every year and they do not have a PCP. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's that's maybe more endemic to South Florida or perhaps the Sun Belt where you have the snowbird phenomenon. But um, even local, even the people who are not snowbirds, I mean, I'm sure you deal with your there all the time and in your facility. Is your experience a lot of people don't have a primary care physician? They don't have a primary care physician or they're in transition. They're changing their insurance. You see, we see mostly Medicare, but, you know, there's Medicare and there's Medicare replacement. And when they went through Medicare replacement, the doctors that they had as Medicare, maybe they're not on the network of the Medicare replacement. That's why I made it very clear at the beginning is that you have to research the insurance plans, Mm -hmm. not all the insurance plans are created equal. And you don't want surprises when you're sick. Then no. It's too late. <laughs> no, you don't want surprise. That's the bad. That's the that's a bad time to get surprised. That's a bad time. We're speaking with Liliana Abramson from South Florida, um, uh, nurse liaison and uh, patient advocate, walking us through some of the some of the challenges of entering the healthcare system and walking into the hospital and trying to negotiate that. We'll be back with Liliana, um, and I want to. Just ask you, I want to come back after this break from our friends at Kendall. I want to ask you about some of your experience dealing with, you mentioned the snowbird phenomenon, and we're up here in Philadelphia, and we have a lot of people who have parents, uh, uh, boomers who have parents in South Florida. Do you get involved in how to deal with that long-distance challenge of caregiving and answering phones long-distance? And we'll do that right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. 
To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our second segment here on Boomer Generation Radio. Today uh, we're speaking with Liliana Abramson from South Florida, nurse liaison and patient advocate talking about navigating the when you enter the healthcare system and navigating that challenge of the hospital vocabulary and uh, admission and right after you get out and where do you go and who's going to pay for it and trying to develop, as Liliana has been emphasizing, uh, even before you have to do this to develop with your family and yourself a, a real plan of what's going to happen and who's going to take care and how do you prepare and what insurances you have? Liliana, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you get involved, uh, in your, in your work. There's so many people who go back and forth. You mentioned the snowbird phenomenon in South Florida. You know, baby boomers up here and mom or dad or is down there in Boca or West Palm and has an incident, has to go into the hospital. I get a call up here and how do, what advice do you have for families up here on how to navigate the system long distance? Well, it's very difficult to navigate from up north, but what I always recommend, if it's possible, there is what's called here geriatric care managers. They're professional people that I call them is your relative here in Florida, and you hire this professional, and this professional will coordinate all the care. For example, your mom or dad are going home and there's going to be home care. You can ask the geriatric care manager to interview the caretakers to be sure of the charges, to be sure how it's going to work, all the details. Let's say your mom or dad is at the emergency room, then the geriatric care manager will go in and meet your parents and be sure that everything's very nice and goes very smooth navigation. It's a geriatric care manager. Like I said, it's a professional that you have to hire, and I think that would help a lot of uh, baby boomers that are up north and have their parents living here in Florida because it's very hard to be commuting all the time. And sometimes even if you're commuting, you don't know how the system works. You don't know how to navigate the system in a smoothly way. Yeah, and we've actually interviewed a couple of uh, geriatric care manager companies in the last uh, several months. Uh, the podcasts of all of them are, are on my website, uh, jewishsacredaging.com, and uh, you're exactly right. They they really do a phenomenal job. Um, I know uh, uh, AdvoCare down where you are, uh, Amy Siegel, has been on the show and has really helped a lot of people. And they really take over. It, it, it's a great stress reducer if you're sitting up here and you can't fly back and forth to Boca or Fort Lauderdale on a regular basis, which can become stressful and extremely expensive. So that, that you're absolutely correct. That, that growing profession, and it's really growing, uh, the geriatric care manager group, um, because of the baby boomers and the demographics that we're talking about. Uh, you, Liliana, talk to me a little bit also, because you, you're dealing with the with the um, phenomenon and the uh, ambiance of the hospital about the rights of patients. In your experience, when people come into the hospital, are they aware that they that they have a certain rights as consumers, as patient, and the patients' rights movement? Are are people really aware of that? Yes, 
Um, I'm talking about the local hospital here. I see all the time the social workers or case managers that are in charge of district planning. They go in to the patient's room and show them all the paperwork that Medicare requires, you know, the, the rights, the responsibility, the appealing. And sometimes when the patient is a little confused, then they contact the family. But yes, there is, you know, explanation of all the benefits, all rights, all responsibility. And also, the local hospital here has what's called guest relations. Mm -hmm. So they can contact guest relations and ask for more information. But again, you know, you don't need to know every right and responsibility. What you need to do is have a plan that will start with your health insurance and your primary care. Those two steps would facilitate your navigation through the system so much. And then about alternatives, that would be depending on your condition. You know, home care versus acute rehab, it's depending on your condition, depending on your health insurance. It's very sad that some people switch insurances and they don't realize that the rehabilitation portion for subacute is not included. You yeah. see, Medicare covers the first 20 days at 100%, you have to be three nights in the hospital as an inpatient, and then if you need further care, on the 21st day there is a copayment, and some supplements cover up to 100 days. But then you have to be out for 60 days to restart your 100 days. But it's very important to know, you know, what does it mean when I go into the hospital? I can be in the hospital for two days and only be under observation and not inpatient. And Medicare is very clear, it's three nights of inpatient stay at the hospital. But other insurance are completely different. That's why, if nothing else, if you can just look at your insurance plan, see what's the coverage, when you can switch and have a primary care physician, your navigation would be so much smoother. Suppose, and, and let's talk about that for a second, because the um, I, I take out my health insurance policy, and I know very little about insurance and the language and the legal language. Um, how do I make sense of this? How is there someone uh, in that hospital system uh, as I'm preparing, you know, doing my preparation work, or somebody before I even have to go into the hospital that can walk me through and say, "Okay, Richard, this is what your policy covers." This is what it does not cover, so you should know this in case you have to make alternative plans. Are there people? Well, there is a group here called Shine, S-H-I-N-E, that you can call, and they will help you, you know, with the different kind of insurance, the different kind of replacement, the different kind of how, what's going to be the coverage of your insurance. Medicare is very clear. If you have Medicare, you have a supplement, you have, you know, your part you have your Part D for medication, you have a supplement, and the other added that is not covered by Medicare would be a long-term care policy. But it's very important. You can call SHINE. They will help you tremendously with all this information. But again, it's very important to understand that the Medicare coverage versus a uh, Medicare replacement, and then if you have Medicare that covers 80%, you're going to need a supplement because the 20% who's going to cover it, and a long-term care. I 
it's just for custodial. If you cannot perform two activities of daily living when you go home and you had long-term care, they will cover. But also, if you're going to have long-term care, you need to consider, is there elimination? That means from the day that you need it to the day that they can provide the care. Some of them have zero elimination. Some of them have 30-day, 60-day. Then you need to know what's the daily rate. And also you need to know, did you get it for life or only you got it for a year? So those things are, if you have a broker, you can sit down with the broker and say, I need for you to explain to me what are my insurance plans and what are the coverage and every single detail. But here we're constantly giving presentations at my facility, Regions Park in Boca. We're always giving all kind of presentations, how to navigate the system. I put together this navigation and I gave it in several temples locally and it was open to the public. We also been working with Jewish Family Services. So down here there is a lot of organizations that could help you understand. But my concern is you can't switch from one plan to another without comparing what the coverage. Yes, sometimes there is money issues, but I always say, some of these plans, they only work when you're healthy. They don't work when you're sick. Yeah, I know. That's the, that's the catch-22. You're fine if you don't have to use it. Uh, but exactly. I mean, the, 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 just this, this little, little, uh, this last statement of yours just come, proves the, 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 the need to really have someone walk you through your, your coverage systems because it, it can be so overwhelming. Uh, I mean, we're going to have somebody on later on, uh, in the year in, in May, I think, uh, just confirmed, uh, a broker to, to really do exactly what you just alluded to in this last couple of minutes to just walk us through the vocab, just the vocabulary alone. And, and I'm sure, and, and there are places and, in local hospitals and the services that will help people, consumers walk them through and decode this. We're going to do this on the show, uh, like I said, in sometime in May. But we have about two minutes left, Liliana, before we have to, to, to close the show. I want to ask you one last real question because since you deal on the front lines with people in the hospital and with their families, how important, um, how important is the role of faith and spirituality in people's hospitalizations? It's interesting that you ask because I've been observing and I've been studying patients that their faith is very important and it's so easy for them to navigate the system, especially like if they belong to a congregation or even the Bikur Holim here that you don't have to be affiliated with any synagogue, they come in, they sit down, and it's not only the prayer, it's the spiritual part. And also, if you are on the end stage of your life, I see that it's much easier when you have faith, when you believe. And also, it's very, very important, surrounded by the love of your children, the love of friends, it's, it makes such a big difference. It's such an easy, easy path when you have your faith you have your family, you have your love. It makes a big, big difference. And belonging to a congregation that your rabbi comes in or the Bikur Holim volunteers come in, it's so beautiful because you feel that they're praying for you, they're thinking for you, and they're pushing for you. And maybe you're not going to be able to be cured, but you're going to be able to be healed. Yeah, and I know that's a, that's a, 
a very important concept of, uh, and that's why I wanted to ask you because it's not only, you know, with every religious tradition, and I work with a lot of chaplains and, uh, as I'm sure you do in, in the hospital situation where you do, where you work and the, the, those three things that you mentioned, um, the, the power of faith and family and love, um, really speak to the idea of social connection and the need, no matter where you are, especially in the hospital, because it can be so isolating um, and lonely and fearful. There's a tremendous fear factor uh, because of illness. So when you combine those three things that you that you very beautifully elucidated, uh, faith and family and love, that can go a long way in helping navigate this system. Uh, which is a, an interesting journey to go back to end on on the very word that that, that we began on with you, Liliana Abramson, uh, nurse liaison and patient advocate. Thank you very very much for your time and most of all, Liliana, for your dedication to really helping people in their own journey. We wish you continued success, much love and health, and um, take care. Hope to see you soon one, on one trip down there. You take care. Say hello to everybody for me at uh, at Bethel too. Okay. You take care. And for all of you, uh, thank you for joining us here on another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We'll see you again next Tuesday morning on WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and WWDBAM.com. See you next week, 10 a.m. Stay safe, everyone. Have a great week.